very good. How are you? I'm perfect. I'm perfect. Ready to go. What have you been up to so far today? Uh, not much really. You know, I'm still kind of trying to recover from that three, four hour sleep a couple weeks, a couple days ago. But not much really. I was just on my phone, uh, just watch a little bit of TV on the background, or not really watching it. That's it. And getting my second part of the dissertation done now. Well, not done, as in like working towards it, doing the oh. research now. Well, we're gonna get into why you had so little sleep, but what have you got to do on your dissertation? So basically, because it's a practical topic, what I've have to do is come up with the methodology and go and do lab work. Basically, so what I need to do as of right now, up until next week or two, is come up with the proportion of my concrete. So come up with the concrete mix, basically saying like. It's going to be ten percent cement, ten percent this, x percent water. Come up with that, and then come up with the tests I'm going to do on it, like theoretically, and then obviously go to the lab and do it. Get it approved by my supervisor first, and then doing it. Okay, yeah. So the practical side, and in terms of you know where where are you now? How many words have you written so far? So so far, I'm around four thousand because that's what we had to do. We had to submit our literature review in the first semester of the year, which was four thousand. Uh, okay. The word cap. So I did that. So it's around four thousand that one, and I need to add a minimum of eight thousand to it. Okay. And are yeah. you going to get that eight thousand from you know this practical, for example? Yeah. So as far as I understand, what how it's going to go is. We're gonna go to the lab. We're gonna do the test. We're gonna go like over a couple of weeks, like how it is in ten days, in fifteen days, in twenty days. Obviously, we're gonna be discussing the results, and after we discuss our own results, we are then going to link it back to our literature review. So our literature review was basically going looking at other publications, saying what their tests showed, and then this part we're gonna do our own thing and we're gonna do the discussion after we do the discussion we're gonna try and link it back to the previous publications we talked about so say uh, my study shows this a similar study done by this individual shows that a similar proportion of let's say fiber in concrete shows x percent increase in the strength of concrete something like that we're just gonna have to compare it pretty much well it sounds very exciting how are you feeling about it I'm excited. I'm not gonna lie. This is a light semester. I've only got one module, and I've got my dissertation. So I'm only going in on Thursdays now, and obviously some days I have to go in. Like Monday, yesterday, I went to just discuss with my supervisor. But yeah, I'm excited. Not really too excited to finish uni. You know, as I said, it's a chapter you're leaving behind. But yeah, I'm excited, man. Why not? Well, what that's what I was. Yeah, well, yeah. before I answer that, that's what I was gonna ask you. I was thinking, you know, how are you feeling about? that journey finally coming to an end honestly i don't i don't even know because it's just on like i can't picture it as as i said as far as i remember i used to be a student and that's since nursery anything all the way up to like secondary school college university like as far as i remember as far as i think back of my life i don't remember before being a student like every day you had to wake up in the morning you had to go, there was going to be a teacher that you had to attend uh, up until you go back home. And then obviously the homework thing side. But to think I'm never going to experience that again, obviously, as you said, you're always a student of life. But to think I'm never going to experience that, the structured format where you go in somewhere, it's a building, everyone else is a student, you have classmates, you're given work, you're meant to do it, this and that, discuss it. It's just, it's somewhat sad, but at the same time, exciting to see what's next. Well, yeah, just because your formal education ends doesn't mean that you're not still learning. And now you're you're leaving the actual classroom and going into the classroom that is the world. So I see what you did there. You see what I did there? From someone who's been in the actual classroom of the world. Yes. I know you've started driving recently. What have you been up to? And tell me about that if you like. Well, literally what I have been up to is, and this is not to do with driving, I just got an Apple Watch, which we spoke about weeks ago. So I finally put the order in. So that will be coming next week. Um, Machine. Yep. And in terms of driving, yeah, I'm two lessons in now. So I've started it. 
<laughs> okay, so firstly, let me ask you the Apple Watch. Did you get the SE version? I got the SE version, um, black with the sport strap. It's actually a Nike okay. one they do. So yeah, I feel yeah. like that would be good for running. Yeah, that's the best ones for running. It's just, um, did you get the SIM version? No, I got, I think, yeah, there were two. There's GPS and like GPS with cellular. And yeah, I just got one. GPS. Yeah, so... that's that's the only one you need. Because even the other one only works with certain phone companies like Vodafone 3, uh, like Virgin, like Virgin Mobile. Like it only works with a certain SIM card. Yeah, and like I, I don't need it for that. I just want it to tell the time and to, you know, for running, to take my heart rate, stuff like that. So I don't need it for text messages. Your machine. Congrats on that. Thank you very much. Now, back to your driving. So yes. tell me, how is it? Do you like it? Is it stressful? Talk to me. It's not stressful. Um, do I like it so far? Yes. You know, like I was saying to my instructor, I've only done three hours of driving in 21 years. So mm. there's a lot to learn. I don't really know a lot about it yet. I'm still in that phase that, you know, you're trying to balance so many different things at the same time. Um, but, you know, one thing I can say is two lessons in, definitely better at, you know, something, for example, I am better at is changing gear when <laughs> I'm driving now. Uh, small thing, yes, but already seeing those improvements. But other things that I am need work on is like parking, for example. Um mm and you know using the clutch so yeah it, it's a lot to learn but so far i'm enjoying it and when you're driving smoothly when things are going well it's it is really enjoyable yeah i mean parking is honestly one of the last things that's going to come to you um you, you're rarely going to get like a parallel park in your exam like they might give it to you you don't know but it's most likely going to be like a bay parking bay parking is the ones literally at like shopping centers like you just drive in forward and backward doors are easy it's just the parallel parking that's something that's going to come to you like honestly if i'm being honest probably not by the time you're doing your um lessons like maybe after like a couple months of driving an actual car then again though that doesn't mean if you get it you're going to fail that just means that it's not going to be realistic. Like if you ever do get a parallel parking in your actual exam, it's not going to be how you'll park realistically. Realistically, it should take you like 15 seconds. But in your exam, you should at least take up a full minute, two minutes to make sure everything's done perfectly. Well, that's that's a lot of it right now is just telling yourself you don't actually have to rush. Um, for mm. whatever reason, you might think in your head, oh, I need to, I need to rush this maneuver. Uh, but you, you really don't. Uh, you can just take your time. Like, people know you're a learner they know that you're on a lesson it says on the car so mm. just chill just try and learn how to do certain maneuvers you know whether that is parking or if it's changing gear for example uh coming up to a junction you can you can just take your time right now so yeah that that's one of the things that i am trying to ingrain into my head that i don't have to rush things yeah one of the things you need to remember is the longer it takes you to finish the shorter you're actually going to drive in your test. So the saying of it's going to take me long is bad is, as you said, it's not true because if it's going to be like a 40 minute test and you're trying to rush everything, you're going to drive for like five kilometers, let's say, whereas if you take your time, do everything slowly, you'll probably drive for like three kilometers. So overall, you kind of, yeah, it's the same route, but a lot of time they'll just change it in their head to get back to where they were actually originally or yeah, get back I mean... in time. I mean, it's a good point you made there in terms of the test being 40 minutes, because when I'm driving around so far, you let's say I start it. my lesson at, well, yeah, exactly. Let's say I start at 1030. Um, and, you know, we talk for 10 minutes, or whatever, and I start driving at quarter to 11. I'll be driving around. It will feel maybe like five minutes. Mm. Then when we finally stop, it will be like 10 to 12. And it's been over an hour. And I'm like, wow, yeah. that's just whiz by. So the fact that the lesson is 40 minutes, I think that's going to go by very quickly. Yeah, yeah. You, As I said, li literally, you're not even going to feel it. Just one thing I'd say make sure to do with your driving instructor, and I'm sure she or he will do it with you anyway, um, is mock tests. So make sure you'll do like at least one or two official mock tests before you go for your actual driving. I think, 
yeah i mean that would make sense obviously we haven't spoken about it yet because we're, we're so early in the process but yeah i assume we would be doing that but it, it also made me think you know how many lessons would you do before taking your test let's say it's between 20 and 40 and how many hours is that i don't know maybe you know 40 hours um that's really not a lot of of time before you have to do your test if you think about it well that's what i mean the concept of the dvla is so you do around 20 to 40 hours of driving whilst being that's why you can get your provisional license at the age of 16 the concept is to be drive uh, is to be sitting with your parents with your uncle with a friend who's had their license for more than three years and they're supervising you so the same concept as your driving lessons obviously without them being an actual instructor so what you could actually do is after you do a certain amount of hours you could just enjoy yourself on one of your parents cars and then have them sit next to you and it's going to be so much cheaper like that's going to be like a hundred pound a month it's funny you bring that up because we were literally talking about that yesterday yeah that's why I mean. like that's the right thing to do that's what i did as well like the ideal thing is to be insured and that that's actually what's going to give you a real life experience obviously with with an actual instructor sitting next to you you're just gonna have that feeling of okay this is a teacher this is formal whereas when you're sitting next to a friend a, a member of the family that's gonna be your actual casual driving how you genuinely normally drive and that's how you can bank in the hours because as you said you've driven three hours over 21 years yeah. and it's just not going to be cost efficient to try and catch up with an instructor for all of that yes you can learn everything you need with an instructor and that's the whole concept then you're meant to be practicing on your own well not on your own as in on a provisional car with like a member of family is that not a flawed system though in terms of it's relying on you to have that individual who you can go out and drive with what happens if you do not have that person because then it becomes you know either a you don't have the hours before the test or b you just don't have the money because no one in your family has the car in order to do that. So is that not, does that system not need changing? Um, see, I think the system would probably need, I mean, the system is good. Let's be honest. Yes, I agree with you. Some people may not have the option of um, driving on like a parent car, like a friend, a family friends, or, and they may not have an option to afford like 50, 60 hours of driving lessons. But let's be real, like, even the option of being able to get yourself insured on a family member's car is an extra in the UK. You don't get that in many countries. So you either have to just continue doing your driving lessons or that's it. You have no other choice. You cannot drive on anyone else's car. I see what you mean. So we, we have a bonus compared yeah, to other countries. Yeah, technically it's a bonus. And it's, it's crazy. Like one thing that doesn't make sense though, I'll tell you one thing that doesn't make sense about it. And we were actually talking uh we were talking with Tolga about this how when you get yourself insured so i got myself insured for like i i believe a month and a half and that was 110 pounds that was when i was a provisional driver it was like 110 yeah. pounds you could obviously drive anytime as long as you want during that time and i was like, like 110 pounds something like that um and the moment you get your actual license the same car would cost you like three thousand four thousand pound to insure yourself on so it'd be monthly really? like yeah 400 pounds which doesn't make sense i mean the concept of okay it's expensive for younger drivers because they're exposed to crash yeah, there's a high chance of them crashing but with that concept isn't it a lot higher chance isn't the chance a lot higher for someone without a license to crash than it is with someone with a license well, yeah, that's just common sense. Someone who has done 10 hours of lessons and is insured on a car is more likely to crash than someone who has passed their driving test and has done yeah. 40 hours of lessons. Exactly. That That's that's kind of funny. And you'll see. So if it's something you're going to look into, um, getting yourself insured on someone's car, um, then you'll see the price difference. Like just check it, just have it like written down somewhere. And whenever you pass your actual driving test, go back and try and get a quote on the same car for an actual yeah. like insurance for yourself and you'll you'll see it's, it's just funny that being said did you have any near-death experience i didn't have any near-death experiences i did there was one in incident where i was coming up on a roundabout 
and I thought, okay, I need to break at the line here because I thought, you know, another car is going to come around it. Um, so I was getting ready to do that, but then my instructor was telling me, no, 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 keep going straight. But of course, in my head, I'm thinking, no, I need to break here because it's a roundabout and I'm coming onto it. Um, and so there was a little, there was a mishap there, but no one, no one died. No one got injured. Don't worry. Good, good, good. Yeah. With roundabout, roundabouts was the trickiest part for me in the, uh, personally, like I found it quite tricky, especially when it went to those massive roundabouts, like at the end of highways or something like that. Those I found tricky. The thing with it is no one's actually right. But technically the person on your right, like as in right hand side has the right way. Like they have the right to drive and you have to stop. But technically in a roundabout, no one's right. Like if you go, if you make anyone break, you get a, you get a point off. If you make anyone break in a roundabout, yes, if you have the right of way, then they break. That's understandable. But if you go when a person on your right has the right of way and then they break because you went, you get you get a serious mistake for that. So, yeah, you have to, you're not you don't have to stop because it's not a stop sign. You have to slow down and be ready to stop if you see a car trying to go from your right side. Yeah, I get you. And you, you know what's interesting to me? what it's that i was saying this to my partner earlier when you're a passenger or when you're observing cars on the road it's really easy to just know what the decision is it's it's common sense right this car mm. needs to stop here it needs to turn left it needs to turn right it needs to go through this junction it needs to go on the roundabout but when you're driving for whatever reason it's just different it yeah it, even though it's so simple you just overcomplicate it in your head yeah 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 it's weird that honestly that just comes with experience though you're trying yeah. to be perfect you're trying to not do anything wrong but you're right though you're absolutely right like everything seems a bit easier when you're just like watching or not easier mm -hmm. i should say you just know what you're meant to be doing yeah i it is it is what you said it, it's experience it's because right now i'm at the the stage where yes i'm getting that experience and also i'm just learning everything's new so once it sort of becomes ingrained and i know what is going on there will be things that I'm thinking about, which no long I will no longer be thinking about because I just know what they are. And so mm. then it will become, you know, more smooth and, and an easier experience. But I have to say, yeah, so far overall, when it, when it goes well, I'm enjoying it. It's really, it is a fun experience. What's the car you're driving on? I'm driving a Ford. I can't remember what Ford, but I'm driving a Ford. It's either going to be like a Ford Fiesta or a Ford Focus, but do you know like the, yeah, that's what, that's what I'm trying to ask. Um, I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. I'll have a look though next time. I'll come back to you next week and I'll tell you. Yeah, the reason I say that is because you actually get somewhat of an advantage in some cars. Um, for example, one of the things my instructor told me when I used to drive was Okay, if you have a car which is like a modern car, it's going to tell you the um, speed limit at all times in your cockpit. So you don't really ah. have to look out to know. You'll just see whilst looking at this, so you have to be careful. And when it comes to parallel parking, uh, this is something I recommend you do if, if the car has this option, is when you go and stay by the next car so that you're meant to like obviously stop right next to the car in front. When you're there, the mirror on that side, if it's electric, pull it all the way down so it's pointing to the floor or to the ground, okay. I should say. Because that way, when you're actually driving back in, you could easily see the curb. So you could see how close you are to the curb. Other, other, otherwise, you can't. You'll just see like the back of the car. Can I tell you one thing I have done? Two lessons yep. in. A three-point turn. You absolute machine. Perfectly. Did you? I did. First you attempt. Tank you tank that's amazing so, have you done an emergency stop yet actually uh, the probably thing. have done it accidentally <laughs> <laughs> can't can't deny that one some uh interesting braking action but i don't i don't think i've done a planned emergency stop did you switch the car off accidentally while driving um i think i yeah i think i did yesterday okay. yeah that's but no, no but i think i was stationary already Oh, okay, okay. That's not too bad. That's yeah, not yeah. too bad. So, so do you, uh, okay, okay, fair enough. Okay, it's looking promising, though. Are you doing one class per week now, or are you doing more? Yep, I'm doing an hour and a half every week. Do you think that's enough? 
I think, yeah, I do think it's enough because, like I said, I've already seen the progress from one week to the other. You can do more, but of course, it just it costs more money. So, mm. and once I'm insured on, you know, my dad's car, for example, I can go out in that and I can get more hours that way. So, for now, I think an hour and a half a week is fine. Yeah, one thing to keep in mind is you have to legally buy the L plate and put it on the car whenever you insure yourself on that car. That's true. Yeah. It's it's gonna be like a it's it's not very cheap, it's like one pound and it's magnetic. It just you can just put it on and take it out. Perfect. Both front and back, yeah, both front and back. With some cars they're made out of fiberglass uh, fiberglass, so it doesn't actually stick to the body of the car. So oh. just like tape it to the rear windshield, but I don't think I don't think you'll have that problem. All right, well, shall we move on and talk about UFC two nine eight? Let's do this, man. Let's do this. Do Short you want to give? Do you want to give us the results? Okay, so some highlights of the events would have been firstly third place Wanderlei Silva, an old old fighter who was introduced to the Hall of Fame in the UFC. Fair play to him. Um, some of the some of the other highlights of the event would have been Ian Gary versus Jeff Neal, another prospect coming from Ireland. He was meant to be the nice Conor McGregor, but he just had a lot of issues recently with the media uh, because of his wife. You might have seen it. But it's, it's just it's just chaotic. So it's getting a lot of hate. It's just so basically what they say is, or oh, this is rumors. He got he's married to his wife, and his wife is like forty something or like thirty nine, and he's like obviously twenty six, twenty eight, and his wife literally has like a book out, that like she wrote this book where. I think the name of the, I don't know the name of the book, but the concept of a book is how like an old woman can marry a young young up and comer and scam him basically. Oh, like right. that's well, that's kind of the name of the book. Um, I wouldn't be happy with that if I was him. Yeah, and everyone's saying that when his when his wife divorced her former husband, um, she still kept the last name, and when they got married, they say he took that last name oh really yeah but that's that's the thing everyone's denying that he's denying that his wife's denying that so i don't know where the rumors came from but yeah since since that he got a lot of hate other than that he's an actual good fighter so some of the prospects in the ufc are right now him comes at we've got paddy pimblin these, these are like the next generation of fighters that we're seeing right now we've um, covered paddy before of course, this is another prospect to look at. Look at at the moment, okay. Ian Gary, and he's actually. I think he's a lot better than Paddy Pimblin as well. He's really good. Um, he's undefeated as well, so that's that's a bonus point. Okay, another fight, co-main event: Robert Whittaker defeated Polo Costa. Um, this this was a great fight. UFC kind of dropped the ball on this one. It should have been a five rounder as it was a co-main event, but they kind of bottled it doing a three round. This was definitely fight of the night. Yeah, uh, I was. Me. I was going to ask you about that. Why is it three instead of five? I think it was, um, it was not a championship fight, and it was not for a number one contender fight. So they just did it a three round. That's what they usually do. If it's not a championship fight, or if it's not like a number one contender fight, they'll do like three rounds. Uh, plus, this fight cut was so stacked in terms of there were so many fights that you would have just liked to see five rounds, and you know both fighters are capable of doing five rounds, uh, that it was kind of unfair to just pick this one to say, let's do five rounds on this. Um, but it should have been. Honestly, in my opinion, all core main events and main events should be five rounds. It's just That's just how the sport should be. That makes uh, sense, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That was a great fight. Polo Costa is, is an unreliable fighter. He's not a professional in terms of the entertaining though very entertaining very entertaining the guy's a legend guy is a legend with his secret juice he rarely shows up never really makes weight this time he showed up dedicated and he rocked robert whittaker robert whittaker is a veteran one of the greatest um middleweights of all time uh but izzy just had his number adesanya has a, has his number and he couldn't have beat Adesanya when Adesanya was the champion now that Adesanya is not the champion you know he's kind of back in the conversation does he still have one more run and he proved that by beating Paulo Costa that if he wants he can still do it well actually let's let's just get into this fight then so Mm -hmm. Robert Whittaker 
you know, defeated Paulo Costa by unanimous decision. It was a close fight. It did start off, I think, more so in Costa's favor. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it was extremely entertaining. I mean, that spinning heel kick, for example, was, was fantastic. But even though, you know, that's how it started, it did feel as though as it went on, Whitaker was the more consistent fighter in terms of how he, you know, how he was going about his business. And in the end, it, it did look like Costa was sort of running out of steam. Hmm. Then again, only three rounds. Could something have happened if it was five rounds? I think that's a possibility. Um, but I mean, it was funny actually watching when they were announcing the winner and Costa was convinced it was going to be him. <laughs> and then it just was not him. Um, uh... But I think, yeah, from what I saw from the highlights, I think probably the right result in terms of Whitaker winning there. But it was a close fight. I have to say it was a close one. Yeah, it was a really close fight. As you said, though, you touched up on a good point that had it been a five-round fight, it actually probably would have favoured Robert Whittaker anyway because, firstly, he's a championship fighter. He goes five rounds. He's not necessarily like a tank, a knockout artist that knocks people out early on, whereas Polo Costa is that. Polo Costa is the type of guy who comes forward. And you, if you just see his physique, you know that guy hits hard. That is, that's the sense I got from it. I thought, yeah, Costa's the one who looks really promising here, but... Whitaker was just more consistent throughout. You know, he wasn't, there wasn't a drop off, whereas I thought mm-hmm. there was an energy drop off from Costa. Yeah, I mean, that's usually what happens when you have that much muscle mass in your body, you're going to run out of steam. Uh, like, it's just, and it's kind of genetic as well. Like, we have guys like the perfect, perfect example would be Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor's deadly two rounds into the fight. Like, two rounds into the fight, that guy is absolutely deadly. After that, it all just goes. After that, the power goes, his sharpness goes, the speed slowly goes, his hand drop. Uh, it's just it's just some people have that power genetically. It's just their muscle, the bone density. Some people have a denser bone than other people, which obviously causes them to hit harder. And also the addition of the muscle mass is something that consumes more oxygen. So this fight was really entertaining in terms of, as you said, firstly, fair play to Robert Whittaker for taking that spinning kill kick to the face. That was... That was, yeah, that was very impressive for someone who's been knocked out multiple times near the end of his career. He took that really well. Um, Imagine getting hit by one of those, though. Yeah, it's 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 not it. It really is not it. But it's so impressive to watch someone pull it off. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Setting that thing up is difficult. Setting it up is so difficult. And it's such a risky kick to throw. Now, probably not as much against someone like Robert Whittaker, but if you're fighting, let's say, a wrestler or like a jiu-jitsu artist, if you throw and they close the gap whilst you're turning, you're done. If they grab you from behind, you're done. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a very, very hard kick to pull off. It's a hard kick to throw as well. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it's easy to throw it anyway. It's hard hard to, like, you know, be set whilst, keep in mind, the ground's a little bit slippery, sweating atmosphere so it's that was perfectly executed by polo costa and he landed a big shot after that as well maybe if he had like 10 more seconds in that round we would have talked we would have been talking about a first round knockout for him but fair play to robert whittaker for bouncing back and getting the rounds is that not a gimmicky thing to pull off though if you're doing stuff like a spinning heel kick in a fight because it's so difficult because it's so flashy the fighters tend to not do that in big fights because, yeah, I guess because it is gimmicky. Yeah, I mean, it's that. It's gimmicky. It's quite hot. As, as you said, it's quite hot to pull off. Like, if you're going to throw that, let's say, against uh, Leon Edwards, good luck landing there. Like, he's going to see that. Because the thing with a spinning heel kick is you have to load up your hips. So it's very easy to see it coming. Yeah. It's, it's quite an expected kick. Like, it's the most telegraphed kick in MMA. Like you, you've got so many kicks you could throw, which is which are less telegraphed than this. Because firstly, with this, you're meant to fully switch your body. You're meant to fully do a turn. So it's it's quite telegraphed. Like obviously, some people. Firstly, for Paulo Costa, he had such a quick kicking speed in the first place. But his high kicks as well, no more high kicks. They were so quick, like they were just lightning. So it was very surprising to see. And that's a signature move for Robert Whittaker anyway. That's his most famous. Uh, let's say, weapon, his head kicks. Um, but yeah, I mean, throwing it is very flashy. We've only got 
a few, like a handful of these knockouts in the UFC with a spinning wheel kick to the head. Uh, throwing it is very difficult. It's very hard to pull off. And it cons- one of the reasons people don't throw it as much is it really does consume a lot of energy. So it's a big thing to throw and set up. Well, maybe that's why he started burning out so early. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, though, I, I kind of respect that. I'll tell you why. I respect it when people understand what they are, what they're good at, and stick to it, rather than trying to be what everyone wants them to be. Um, with Paulo Costa, one thing he knows is he knows he's good at putting the pressure on early and trying to knock people out. Now, I think with this fight, and this is something he said at the end of the fight, he said, I thought I didn't press him enough early on, whereas if I would have, I probably could have stopped him whilst he was still getting my range and stuff like that. And that's one thing I respect about some of these people is when they try to uh, turn their style around, it's just not going to work. Like a guy like Polo Costa, a guy like Conor McGregor is, why do you try to condition yourself for five rounds, three rounds? Yes, you're meant to. You have to, obviously. It's not like, but let's be real. You're only deadly in the first two rounds. So you might as well try to finish the fight within the first two rounds. And, you know, one thing you cannot deny watching Costa from that fight is that it's like you said why you, why you respect him is because you can see his personality and the, the way that he is shining through in the way that he's fighting um mm. every time that he was taking a hit for example he's sticking his tongue out um yeah. and so you you clearly you associate someone doing something like a spinning heel kick uh gimmicky stuff like that with someone who is more flamboyant in their personality someone who's more playful and i think you, you have to respect him for that um i just think what happened here was it it got away from him it's like i said right at the start it was just whitaker was a more consistent fighter the one who could condition himself for longer and you know the longer that it went on and the longer that he didn't have that knockout it was just not going to happen it it was going to take you know that one that one second moment of madness for him to win it not the not the longevity route and obviously it went the longevity route and that is why unfortunately he lost this one yeah, I mean, that puts him in a good place still, though, because a lot of people were saying with his last performance, even though he won his last fight, was uh, he doesn't really want it anymore. It doesn't look like he's training as hard. And it were all true. But when he shows up, he shows up to fight. And if he fights that good against one of the top contenders, then you could be sure he'll be back. And I'm looking forward to his return. And I'm looking forward to see what Robert Whittaker is going to do next. And that's going to be interesting to see what's going to happen to that division. Well, we also have to remember, it's not just about, of course, the quality of fighting is important, but we can also talk about quality in terms of entertainment. Mm. And what he provided here was an entertaining fight. Okay, yes, he lost it. But like you said, he put in a strong performance against a top fighter. So I'm not sure what his age is. I'm not sure what his record is. But do you think you can see him on more cards at a similar level going forward or not? Oh, yeah. Paulo Costa is a massive UFC draw. Like, don't get me wrong. he That guy firstly can actually fight. And we saw that from his performance last time around. Also, he's he's only 32. So he's quite somewhat young. He's somewhat young, depending on how active he's going to be. Um He's definitely going to be headlining a lot of cards. He's a big name. He's from Brazil. He is big nation. He has a big nation around him, supporting him. Uh, and he's actually good, you know. Like, if you put him against any other... The same Costa on that night would have probably be seven out of the top ten middleweight fighters. And Not everyone's obviously meant to be a champion. As you said, as long as you have that marketable side of you and you can sell fights and you're actually showing up to fight and you make the fight as entertaining as you make it sound in the build-up then you're you're good you're good you don't have to be a champion you're good well he has that in abundance and so now i'm wondering what's next for whittaker um with robert whittaker i think what you're gonna have to do next is uh, maybe the rematch with the champion, but I don't I don't see it because in his last performance, Robert Whittaker fought Rekas Duplessis, who's the middleweight champion at the moment. And he just got stopped in the second round. And it was a fight where he didn't show up. Like Robert Whittaker did not show up in that fight. Like you could just tell it's not him. Like he showed up a bit overweight. He showed up just looking sloppy. And he was still doing all right like up until he got caught and he got stopped. 
And that's why everyone was saying, okay, Robert Whittaker's done. It's the end of the era. And coming coming into this fight, everyone were like, okay, this is like the one last shot for Robert Whittaker, which he did redeem himself. So I don't know if you do the rematch with the champion. If not the rematch, you have to do a number one contender for him. So maybe him versus Shauna Strickland, if Strickland is not rematch, rematching Erika's Duplessis or another rematch with Adesanya, that'll, that'll be a good fight. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the names that you are you are ringing off here, but <laughs> you know, Adesanya. I mean, listen, it was a. I do. I know that yeah. name. Um, yeah, it was a strong performance, and so he he wouldn't be in contention for a title fight then. I think he is, but because he's already been a champion, he's been in the sport for so long. There's so many up and comers, and because he already fought the champion one time. Not when he was a champion, but he already fought that guy one time. There's so many other people who are in line. Like, one or two other people are in line before him. But if not a champion, yeah. number one contender fight, 100%. I see what you mean. So it's sort of like he's already... He's had his time, and it, it's time, you know, yes, okay, he can have it again. But you, you more so, he's down the pecking order. You want those up-and-comers to have their moment. And, okay, that's fair enough. I mean, how old is he? Robert Whittaker is 36 years old, I believe. Okay, so he, yeah, he is at the tail end of his career. Okay, well, this could be a, a good way. It's a nice way to end it on some, you know, top wins. Yeah, I mean, exactly as you said, Robert Whittaker is is the man. Like, he's a Hall of Famer in the UFC. And uh, even if he doesn't get that, I'm sorry, he's 33. It's not 37. Um, even if what, He's 33, but he's been in the game for years. Like, before Adesanya joins UFC, before Polo Costa joins UFC, before he used to go to wars and... And in, in, in the middleweight division, and he took some serious damage in his fights, even the ones he won. Um, I hope he's not listening to this. Yeah, let's hope he isn't. <laughs> I like him though, he's the man, he's such a nice character as well. So, shall we move on to the main event? Oh, I almost Ilya, cried. Ilya Toporia versus Alexander Volkanovsky. For God's sake. You're not happy with this one, are you? Look, I'm not... Um, I'm quite happy. I like Ilya Taporia. I like his style. I think he has one of the most... I think he's got a revolutionary style in terms of, I think, he's changing the game. If he continues like that and he defends his belt multiple times, he's going to be a new style introduced to MMA. Um, it's quite a unique style, actually, when he fights. What do uh, you mean by that? Okay, with Ilya Taporia, this is one thing I've said from day one, and I still stand by that statement. Uh, and I will actually get back to you on this because I'm actually going to an MMA gym on this Saturday. So oh, okay. we can talk about this more at the end. But um, So Ilya Taporia is an excellent fighter on the ground. When it comes to the ground game, he's very good. Is he anywhere near Alexander Volkanovsky's level? Probably not, but he's very, very good. He can handle himself. He submitted some of the most dangerous uh, jiu-jitsu artists in the game. Uh, but Ilya Taporia has one of the best, if not the best, boxing in MMA right now. And you could just see from his movement, from his head movement, from his combinations, how much power he puts in his shots, how he throws his shots. Like, he throws every shot with intentions. Like, he throws every shot with the intention to kill you. So, uh, I picked up on this. Um, mm -hmm. So, actually, we might as well, we should say the result. So, Tapuria beat Volkanovski in round two with a KO. Um, and I wrote down on my notes that the, 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 knockout, the knockout punch was electric. It, mm. was, it was very impressive. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'll let you continue, but what, what you're saying basically is that the style that he is bringing into the sport is, I guess, what, what is it? Fluidity, electricity in terms of his, his boxing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I used to always watch these MMA fighters and I used to always go like, none of these fighters can actually box. Like if you were to put any of these fighters into a boxing ring, they all get sparked out within like a round or two. Like none of them can actually box. Now, obviously they're not meant to. It's a mixed martial art game. And having a boxing stance is very, very risky in this game. Having that boxing stance where you're heavy in your front foot is a very risky game. 
and you can't really do as much head movement as you do in MMA because you're just gonna move into like a knee or an elbow or a kick and that's gonna be devastating like in boxing if you have your gloves up and even if you move into a shot with your gloves up you'll still you'll still buzz you but it's not it's nowhere near the impact of you let's say moving into a head kick with your hand up like if you move into a shin with your hands up you'll still go out cold you won't take that um but yeah with Ilya Taporia he's got crisp boxing and that's something you could actually tell if you let that man work if you let that man get into the rhythm he's going to knock anyone out and his boxing's actually really 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 good like I think you could literally take him out from him and maybe put him into a boxing room right now, and he will he'll actually be really successful. Um, there's only a handful of fighters who'd have that. Conor McGregor once again is one of them. Piotr Jan is one of them. Uh, but Ilya Tapuri is good, man. Like, and I can actually give you some very very interesting stats regarding uh, the main events that happened on the weekend. Go for it. Okay, so Alexander Volkanovsky. First of all, everyone were saying. He's going to lose because uh, he just fought Islam Makhachev. He got knocked out with a head kick. So it's coming off of a knockout too soon. Uh, he shouldn't have taken that fight. And I agree, he shouldn't have taken that fight. But th- these are the stats that are interesting. So 170 pound division and below. So this is a 100, 145 pound division. 170 pound division and below. Champions who fought after the age of 35. 35, yes. Um, they went one and twenty-two in championship fights. Oh wow! Well, one and twenty-three now. That is awful. That yeah, that's pretty bad. So, combined number of champions in UFC history who fought after the age of thirty-five in a championship fight, whether they were the champion or they were challenging the champion, under hundred seventy-pound division was one and twenty-three now, or one and twenty-two before the fight. So. And with Ilya Taporia, I don't know if you've seen it on the news, he's compared to Conor McGregor. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, they just tell him he wants to be Conor McGregor. Look at his tattoos. Like, he got the exact same tattoo as Conor McGregor on his back. He got the McGregor tattoo on his chest. He has his left-hand tattoo. Like well, McGregor. I'm yeah. thinking, is that comparison not because of his boxing? Uh, No, no, no. Hear me out. Hear me out. Okay. Uh. I'm not. Ter- I'm not saying he is trying to be Conor McGregor. I'm saying there's a lot of parallels, and I'll tell you why. When Conor McGregor won the featherweight championship of the world, remember Conor McGregor started at 145 pound as well. Before yeah. he wins that fight, he was against Jose Aldo, who was arguably, I think, Volkanovski is the greatest featherweight. But if not, it's going to be Aldo. Aldo was coming off of like a 13 fight win streak. He hadn't lost in that division. He was the man. He was like the greatest of all time in that division at the time. And Conor McGregor was just this flashy guy looking good, trash talking in the press conference. He took his belt, like he held his belt over his head. Um, he predicted it's going to knock him out and no one obviously believed him. And going into that fight, Conor McGregor was 6-0 in the UFC. Um, yeah. Whilst being on an 11-fight win streak. Now with this fight, Ilya Taporia did the same thing in press conference. He took his belt, held it over his head. Ilya Taporia was 6-0 in the UFC with an 11-fight win streak, or maybe more than that, in the UFC going into this fight. Um, so it was a lot of parallels. Like, everything looked like, oh, this is deja vu. The same thing's going to happen. And yes, it wasn't a 13-seconds knockout like Conor McGregor, but... Uh, which is crazy, by the way, knocking someone out in 13 seconds in such a high-stage fight. Um, I mean, can I just say how unfortunate if you had tickets to that fight and it's just over <laughs> that quickly? I'd be so pissed off. Yeah, honestly, same. That oh, That's so peak. As happy I would... If it's my favourite fight, as happy I would be, I'd be like, come on, no way. Like, Yeah, no. but but then again, you have to tell yourself, okay, I'm, I'm witnessing like a, a moment History. here. Yeah, you're yeah. witnessing history. Yeah, and that's something people still think about. So yeah, Ilya Taporia Volkanovsky, first of all, had all the stats against him anyway, regarding the one in twenty-two, his age. Um he was he was in charge of that division for nearly five years now. He was actually since yeah, since two thousand nineteen, he was the champion in that division. And it's crazy. If you look at the history of Featherweight Division, 
there has only ever been five champions. Whereas if you look at, let's say, middleweight, there's been five champions just over the last six years. So it's crazy to see like the differences. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Like, um, How come? Well, it's just people get beat. The bigger you are, the more likely it is for you to get knocked out. And that's essentially what happens, really. Like People get knocked out easier when it comes to high weight classes. And that's why, that's actually the reason why the stat is 1 in 22 for 175 and below. Because the last thing that goes when you go old is your power. And the yeah. higher you go in divisions, the more power-based it is. Whereas if you go like 125 pounds, 45 pounds, 55 pounds, it's a lot more skill-based because not necessarily all of them can generate that explosive knockout power like Ilya Taporia does. Do you know who has that sole victory? Who does? I don't know. I'm asking you. <laughs> I do not. I do not. How, um... about, how about you have a look at that? Um, okay. But I think... You know, it's interesting that the para- the parallels that you're making with, you know, McGregor in terms of like the statistics side, and I think I'm right in saying is Tapuria is a, a younger fighter, right? He's not, you know, he's not yeah, Volkanovski's yeah, like age, for example. Years older, twenty six. But you know, in terms of like his his personality, you know, the the reaction I saw to him winning, of course, he was overjoyed. But it wasn't, you know, McGregor, it wasn't like really flashy. I think it was in a way from what I saw, it looked quite reserved. And so, listen, I don't know if he has, you know, that that flamboyant personality like McGregor does. But one thing I do completely agree with you on, you know, the ferocity of his punching, for example, his his boxing element to to his uh, to his martial arts was really impressive. Um, And this one, of course, it didn't take 13 seconds to happen. It did take quite a few minutes, but I was watching it. I was thinking, oh, I don't know. I don't know what you think, but I don't know if he was on top in this fight. But then suddenly no, he had that. Fight. He had that moment because he had quite a bloody nose as well, I believe. Um, but yeah, then he had that one. Deep. Yeah, that he had that one moment, and he pounced on it. And mm. it's just, I love, I love when that sort of thing happens when you're watching the highlights and you see that because he took that opportunity and he just went for it. I mean, this guy was on the floor. Volkanovski was on the floor. And he was just all Not over him. Bad. The ref had to come over. It's like, come on. Yeah, he it. went out really bad. He went yeah. out very, very badly in that fight. Um, with, I mean, one thing with Taporia is, yes, you're right. He was getting beat in round one. And even in round two was getting beat even worse up until the stoppage. But that's somewhat his style. His style Not to get beat, but his style is he's going to make reads early on and try to slowly close the gap and let his combination go. And I was actually kind of sensing it, like a, towards the end of round one, I was like, uh, you're letting him get too close now. Like you need to keep your distance, you need to wrestle. And obviously round two didn't go his way. So Spain, you got yourself a champion, Ilya El Matador Taporia. Well, I'm, I'm thinking though, because you, you've been, you did a seg- segment there on boxing and I'm thinking, how can fighters combat that going forwards? Because you're saying he's introducing a new threat. He he's he's in a way figured out how to implement boxing successfully. But of course, when you have that new threat, there's also going to be the counter to that. And so how can fighters yeah, how can fighters figure out a way in order to not get beaten by, you know, combinations that someone like Taporia is throwing, for example? Well, it's not easy, honestly. Like it's very, very difficult to deal with someone as firstly powerful and as good when it comes to boxing with Ilya Taporia. Um, obviously, it's it's simple. Like if you think about it, theoretically, they say uh, this guy is really good with his hand. Okay, simple. Keep your distance or wrestle. Like that's that's the whole concept. He's really good with his hand, so keep him at, keep him at kicking range or wrestle with him. But it's a twenty-five minute fight. Like good luck doing all of that for twenty-five minutes. And if he does yeah. close the gap, you really need to be careful. Like you, if you let it go, like a perfect example of that would be Adesanya versus Pereira, and that's something we talked about, where Adesanya knew how powerful of a striker Pereira is. So over the course of twenty-five minutes, he was just being perfect. It was outpointing him. Everything was perfect, and he let go of that defense for like a minute in the last round, and he got knocked out. That's all it takes. You you do need to be perfect the whole time. Otherwise, you know, you have that one slip and then you're done. 
Yeah, now with now with Ilya Teporia, he's got a lot of a lot of unanswered question. Is he really a championship fighter? Could he really maintain that power for five rounds? Could he really win a decision against anyone? And from the top of my head, I can think of a lot of people who can probably beat him in that division. But this is what's interesting. Like I love to be proven wrong in in this sport, and that's that's what's interesting about this sport. And um, Ilya Teporia is very marketable. He's got that. Georgian background, he's got that Spanish uh, background, and I believe he's the first Spanish champion in the UFC. He is also undisputed mm-hmm. as well. And yeah, undisputed champion in the UFC. I was going to ask you though, yeah. um, there was quite a, in, in the arena, there was quite a negative reaction to his winning. Did you sense that? I did sense that. That's just because of who he beat. Uh, Volkanovski is a loved member in the community everyone loves Volkanovski so just beating Volkanovski is just you're just going to be hated and then everyone's going to be like yeah you know he was actually pretty good now that like you think back on it like but Volkanovski is he's just a man like he's the guy who it's funny they were saying um Ilya Teporia is going to get injured and pull out of the fight but don't worry Volkanovski is going to be the backup fighter he was going to be fighting he's just that guy like you just call him to be a backup he just shows up two days later and he's good he's really good but they're probably talking about a rematch in spain so Ilya Teporia will probably defend his belt in spain i'm saying it here now i will go to that fight that's a big call that's a big how call. many calls have we made in this podcast i need to write this down by the way so i can hold it to you <laughs> i'm, made one I'm last going week to that well. fight yeah, yeah, we did, we did. Uh, that was regarding UFC 300, I believe. Which so when we could would that move on to that? When would well, we can do, but when would that rematch be if it does happen? I believe the rematch would be at least a year or towards the end of this year. If they are, if they are going to do Spain, they haven't booked any venues in Spain. By the time they look into it, if they are going to pursue a rematch rather than someone else, by the time Alexander Volkanovsky takes some time off, he just came off of two back-to-back devastating knockout losses, so he needs to take some time off. Um, probably towards the end of this year or early next year, probably. Okay. Well, I would be interested in coming with you. That's what we like to hear. That would be amazing. If we could get tickets to that fight... I'm convinced. I'm sold. I will go to that fight. I have to see that fight. It's either going to be an end of an era or it's going to be by far the greatest featherweight of all time. Tepori, well, we, uh, need, we need another UFC event in London so we can go to that. There is going to be one more in London, I believe, uh, near summertime. This year? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that would be, what's that, 301, 302? No, no, no. That'd be like I'd, I. They haven't announced, but there's going to be a pay per view. It's just going to be a fight night. But I'm hoping they come back for a pay per view fight. And if they do, it'll probably be around yeah, three o two or maybe three o three, something like I'd that. Three o one is in Brazil. Going to that. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Speaking of three, UFC three hundred main event was announced, and UFC really dropped the ball on that one. Go on. Okay, I'm gonna name them. Let me know if you even know them. Okay. So we're going to have Jamal Hill face off against um, Alex Alex Portan, Alex Pereira. Okay, I know, I know him. Yeah, that's that's going to be the main event. I'm so disappointed with this main event. That is, yeah. Um, no Connor. <laughs> no Connor. No Khabib. No Leon Edwards. No Hamzat Chimaev. Nothing, nothing, nothing too good. So they're not rolling out the greatest hits or the biggest names for 300. Now, hear me out. I'm thinking maybe they're still cooking something. However, this is like a really unlikely scenario. Can't, uh, Dana White announced a couple of weeks ago that they still have two fights that aren't announced. A co-main and a main event that are unannounced for UFC 300. And in the post-fight press conference... He said the main event is going to be this. Or he said the fight I'm announcing is this. But he didn't announce any core main events. It's surely got to be a big name because, it, you know, it is, it's 300. It's celebrating 30 years. It's a massive moment. And like you said, I mean, just, just my reaction as well. It's quite underwhelming. Um, I know Alex Pereira. I know of, of him. 
but it, it's not the biggest name for those who are not you know ingrained into being a big fan of the sport it's mm. not a name that i feel is going to draw in that audience and of course like i said it's a massive event so you do want a massive name um that is quite underwhelming that's the first i've heard of it by the way so yeah yeah i mean I'm thinking, what if, what if he's trolling? What if this is the co-main event and they still haven't announced the main event? But I think that's unlikely. I mean, don't get me wrong. This fight will probably be like a fight of the year contender. Like, it's going to be an amazing fight. This fight's going to end in a knockout a minute in, probably. Um, But it's... The fight card is amazing. It's just I was disappointed. As you said, they really do need that international name who people just know without even knowing the sport to represent then, UFC 300. Then again, okay, they might not have the big name, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to be really entertaining. So, you know, I'm going to completely I'm going to completely flip my mindset and I'm still looking forward to it and I'm still going to stay up and watch it. That's how we do it. That's interesting. Let's do this. So, and by the way, we're we're cooking something up in regards to that. Yep. 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 If you heard last week, where we we sort of rumbled some ideas together, we are going to cook something for UFC 300. We are indeed. We are indeed. Uh, that's interesting. Looking forward to that one. So, before we wrap this up, tell me what have you been watching lately? So I've actually started watching something where I believe you told me to watch years ago, and sorry, okay. not years ago, maybe like two years ago um it's it's a funny one it's monsters at work on disney plus it's ah, amazing I, man i never ended up watching it but of course i've seen monsters inc i've seen monsters university big fan of both of them and of course mm-hmm. when they announced that they were going to do a series because you know when disney's disney plus came out pixar said they're going to be working on multiple series and really excited to see that they're going to do a monsters inc one but I just never got around to to watching it. So how is it so far? It's honestly amazing. It's like a sitcom, but okay. with the Monsters Inc. characters. It's so good. Like I really like it. It's only 10 episodes, I believe. So I've almost finished it. But it really is entertaining. One thing with it is um, it's very high quality. Now, speaking of the quality, I'm going to talk about... Have you seen the trailer for Megamind, the new Megamind. I have seen the trailer for the new Megamind. As you know, I haven't seen the film itself, mm-hmm. but I can tell you this trailer, I know the reaction on X was pretty disappointing because, I mean, firstly, there's a new series, a sequel series and a sequel film, which in itself is weird um, because that film is also going straight to streaming. Uh, which is odd because the film went into cinemas and it was successful. And also it's not the same cast returning. So again, there's that that quality drop off. I don't know if you're going to go more on the negative side with the, with the Megamind sequel mm-hmm. and prequel, but from what I gauged online, it, it doesn't look that great. It looks like Sims 4. It literally does. It looks horrible. It really does look horrible. Why, why do that? You, this is what I ask myself. Why would you, if the if the quality's not there, why go ahead with it? And also, you know, you're releasing it straight to streaming. So where are you going to make your money? Um, wait, do you say there's going to be a sequel as in, in terms of there's going to be a full animated movie for it as well? There is, yeah. So it's not just a series. There's a full animated film as well going straight to streaming. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think what they did is they do this with a lot of kind of successful uh animated movies like kung fu panda i don't know like shrek i guess where they do these mini series where it's obviously lower quality but it's kind of quantity rather than quality where you just see more of the characters i think they're aimed mostly for kids rather than like proper kids but oh okay I, as you said i i don't see especially with megamind like firstly it's not like everyone demanded it but it, it just, it looks so bad. Like, so for whoever hasn't seen the Megamind 2 trailer, I recommend just searching up Megamind 2 uh, trailer, literally that. Uh, it's just going to look funny. Does it or does it not remind you of Sims 4? Just search that up. It just, 
the the animation is just not there. So I, again, I ask, what is the point of doing it? Now, if it's like what you said and it's aimed towards kids, I guess you can have that quality drop off because it doesn't really matter. But I think for for the audience that it had already, you know, this was a successful film when it came out a decade or so ago. So, mm. and I was confused that they were doing this this dual model of having a film and a series. I didn't really understand that. Um, yeah. And especially why is the film coming out straight to streaming instead of in the cinema? It's not like people were calling for a Megamind sequel. I don't know if you were. You probably, you probably were, to be fair to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I can tell you absolutely I will be skipping that one. Yeah, I mean, first one is really good. If you've not seen the first one, I do recommend the first one as in the actual animated one. But this one, honestly, yeah, yeah, it's not it. But yeah, pretty much I was just watching Monsters, Inc. What about you? What have you been watching? Well, you, you brought up Monsters, Inc. And you said it was, or Monsters at Work, sorry. And you said it was like a sitcom. And mm-hmm. as you know, on the weekend, I watched the first episode of Ted. Yep. Sitcom. Um, and it was funny. I don't understand these reviews that have come out saying it's just not funny because do you just not understand what a sitcom is? I know that we're, we're living in an era where sitcoms are not what they used to be. They, they don't dominate, you know, mainstream television as they used to, but this does fit that classic mold. And if you are a fan of, you know, Seth MacFarlane who created family guy, for example, and also the two Ted films, uh, you're a fan of his humor. And if you're in general, general, just a fan of Family Guy, you're definitely going to enjoy this series. It's set in the 1990s. So, you know, if you've watched Ted, you know, there's a flashback when Mark Wahlberg is a kid. It's basically set around that time period and follows Mark Wahlberg's younger, younger self uh, during high school. And Ted is, you know, the naughty teddy bear uh, with him during that period and influencing him during that period. Um, and like a sitcom, it conforms to many stereotypes about like the American family, but it also has that that humor which the film which the films had. And so, for for me, I've only seen one episode. I haven't watched it all, and I'm not really a sitcom guy, but did enjoy it a lot. So, I know you, I don't think you have now TV, but if you ever do have yeah. it, check out Ted because it's very good. Yeah, I mean, I've seen some bits of it on, like, Instagram and X, but uh, I think the reason it got a lot of hate, or bad reviews, I should say, is just the fact that it doesn't have Mark Wahlberg. I think that's part of it. A lot of people were probably just tuning in for him, and obviously it's not going to have him. But, yeah, as you said, I think the fact that it's a sitcom and sitcoms aren't as what they were before is is a big part of it. Uh, obviously I've not seen it but if you say it's good plus Ted is good anyway Ted is like one of them ones it is. Ted is like Paddington like you can't really make it bad like well, come on how can it be bad Paddington I don't know really I don't know about Paddington but he's up there he's good he's funny it's completely different but yeah yeah I mean Ted is Ted is the evil Paddington come on also the animation is good it's not like oh, okay, Megamind okay. because obviously Ted is CGI Mm-hmm. But it just works. I still don't understand, though, that everybody just accepts there's a talking teddy bear. I don't understand that. Like, <laughs> Ted will Ted will see... Um, he, he will go to high school and he will... Let's say there's, like, a 16-year-old boy and they just accept. They're like, oh, yeah, you're the, you're the famous teddy bear. The talk, like, what? <laughs> I don't understand why why people just accept that. Is there other talking teddy bears? This is something we need to... We need to flesh out more in future seasons if there are any. But it is very funny. Maybe it's and like an alternative universe. Maybe, man. Maybe maybe it's part of the MCU. And speaking of MCU, I've also started watching Loki season two, which so far is so good. So Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna watch that actually. But the thing is, I still wanted to watch that a few weeks ago as well, but like I was thinking, I really don't remember season one. Like I need to go back and watch that again. I was in the complete same situation as you, but don't worry, there's a recap at the start, which, I mean, there, there's a lot going on in that show. Um, mm. So you might still be a little bit confused, but you'll understand generally the gist of things. So yeah, don't worry, they've got you covered there. Okay, okay, that's good, because I remember watching season one and it was really good. And I think, based on what I read, season two is going to have like a very good ending and it's just going to be a good season. 
I've heard similar things too, and I think it's important in terms of the overall storyline and the structure of that universe. I think it plays an important part of that. So, I mean, as you know, we we have many opinions about the MCU and and the multiverse saga and why it's not as good as as the previous films. So, hopefully, this rectifies things. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, let's see how it turns out. I'll start watching it as well then. All right, man. Should we wrap this up? Let's do this. I have been your host, William Cope. I'm your host, Stasia. And thank you for listening to Coffee Hour. We'll see you in the next episode. Take care. Take care.